Hello, friend, and welcome to the Trenton 365 Show. I'm your host, Jacques Howard. You're listening over New Jersey's oldest radio station, WIMG 1300, streaming over our website as well, WIMG1300.com. And if you're watching, it's over WPHY, Channel 25, covering Mercer County, New Jersey. You can also visit the Trenton 365 Show Facebook page, and there you can see archives of the different interviews and so many other things I'm doing in the community. And you can always send me an email, Trenton365Show at gmail.com. In the studio with me is Paul Perez, and Paul Perez and I met a few years ago um, when he was put his bid in to run for the mayor of New Jersey's capital city, Trenton, and uh, we developed a friendship there and an ongoing relationship, and it's amazing how when two people come together who have like-minded opinions about being civically engaged and the importance of that, how that relationship can progress. So I've got Paul in the studio today, I'm going to touch on his politics just slightly <laughs> because I have to but besides that we're going to be talking about all the other things that Paul has been doing over the last couple of years and uh, one of his newest projects which is his nonprofit partnerships for Trenton which is doing some amazing work and you're going to get a chance to hear a lot of that but Paul it's great to have you on the show thank, thank you thank you very much for having me Jock I'm I'm uh, I feel privileged to be here with you tonight and it's always uh, great when we get together so thank you absolutely man for sure so um you know I know you, and I know your family, et cetera, but just give a little snippet about who Paul Perez is, uh, how long you've been in Trenton. Don't give him the whole, the whole lowdown, but just a little, little bit of information about the background. Well, I think that uh, most people know that I'm from Trenton, born and raised here. Uh, 503 Market Street, if people remember that area, right down from uh, the old Sears. Uh, that's where I was born and raised, went to school here, uh, Parker School, Junior 5, Trenton High School, and then, of course, went on to military come from a family of 15, 15 of us that uh, now has multiplied, I don't know, five times now. So everywhere you look, somebody's related to us. Mm -hmm. So we are Trentonians, because that's usually what qualifies you as a Trentonian. <laughs> How many family members do you have here? Uh, but uh, no, I love Trenton. Uh, I am a dedicated uh, individual who wants to see uh, children who are going through experiences that I went through uh, get ahead of also. So that's why I dedicate my time and my service to, to that kind of work. Uh, I am a, uh, a former military uh, soldier who, uh, who loves his country and is proud to have served and, uh, and really appreciative of everything that I had uh, an opportunity to learn and gain while I was in the military and doing service for my country. Uh, I'm a former uh, federal uh, senior executive who had the opportunity to work for uh, several administrations to include the Obama administration when I was there as a senior executive at the National Science Foundation. Uh, for three years as the uh, Director of Administration and Operations for the National Science Foundation. Uh, I am a private uh, 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 owner of my own uh, electrical company, electrical uh, retrofitting company here, mm -hmm. established here in the city of Trenton. And I am the president of the Partnerships for Trenton, uh, which is a nonprofit community outreach organization that helps uh, people connect to resources. Uh, we focus on seniors, we focus on our youth, uh, we focus on anyone who needs help in either getting to or understanding how to get to or learning about what the resources are that are available to them uh, here within the city of Trenton and Mercer County. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you think you're, you're growing up in a family, a large, very large family, being one of 15, how do you think that formed you and, and your opinions about life uh, and then transitioned into the military? Well, it, it, several things. Number one, it taught me about uh, how it feels not to have something. Mm. That's one. And then it also taught me uh, how it feels to appreciate something. Uh, it also taught me uh, discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, it also taught me about team play. All of these things came about because you're surrounded by 15 other individuals who are trying to accomplish the same goals that you are, whether it was taking a bath, <laughs> using the restroom, eating at the table, or uh, appreciating the meal that was served for you. Uh, even something as simple as, uh, as clothing, you know. Uh, so I know what it feels like to have uh, a real need for something, uh, what, it, what it feels like to, uh, to, uh, to not be a person who can just reach over and, and grab something and say I'm happy because I can reach this and then not appreciate it. Uh, I also know what it feels like to be denied things, okay, because I came from a poverty-stricken area where we weren't always uh, given the right resources to help us stay in the race, right? 
uh, whether it was through educational opportunities or job opportunities or even athletic opportunities, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so I, I know what it feels like to be, you know, the, that guy that people say, okay, you can't play, even though you're, you might be one of the better players in the team or, or you might be uh, uh, the person who really uh, has worked hard and, and deserves the opportunity. So those kinds of things and lessons as I, I was a young man growing up here in the city of Trenton uh, prepared me for the military. I went to the military and I said, it's like being at home. You know what I mean? I got a bunch of people living in the same room with me. Uh, I got somebody who talks really loud and gives me a lot of orders. And as long as I do what I'm told, I'm not <laughs> going to get uh, uh, disciplined for it. And, uh, and then at the same time, they're teaching me new values on how to uh, construct myself as a man. Uh, so it was wonderful. Mm. So part of how you and I met is, is you being civically engaged, you being active in your community, wanting to, from a... Uh, administrative standpoint, wanting to improve the city right. uh, and, and the surroundings that you grew up in. How important is that for you as you've transitioned, not in the political sense, but now you're, you're in the private sector? Right. Um, and, and how does that help to formulate your opinions on that? Well, well it, uh, it has helped because it, it shows me where the gaps are when it comes to uh, how is it that we're not communicating the right message to help people understand that if you don't get involved, you don't count? Mm -hmm. uh, and I saw this continuously when I got into the political arena specifically, where I would see candidates ask people, do you vote? And, and as soon as they said no, the candidate would move on. Mm -hmm. Because that meant I don't need to spend my time on you because you don't vote. So you don't have a voice. You don't count. Uh, and when that happens, uh, people don't realize uh, that it has a cascading effect to how you live, eat, sleep, and work, right? Uh, so the importance of getting civically involved uh, helps you uh, to improve your opportunities when it comes to who's going to hear your voice. Who is going to be standing there when you say, uh, a dilapidated school is not good enough for my child, mm -hmm. or when the street services are not good enough for my taxes that I pay you, or when they say, why don't we have uh, a security plan that works? Or when they ask, you know, my young son is a brilliant young man, or my young daughter is a brilliant young, young girl, and she's studying very hard, and she's going to go to college, why does she have to travel somewhere else to get a job? Why don't we have the private sector here capable of, of keeping her home? Uh, so those are the kinds of things, those are the cascading effects of not being civically involved. Mm -hmm. But people make civic decisions on a daily basis. We were just talking about that, right? So you'll see these young kids, they're walking around and they have uh, a t-shirt on and they'll have a picture of their, their uh, you know, today it's it's an artist or, you know, I said for the Latinos, it might be Che Guevara or somebody like that. And they said, but I don't get involved in politics. And I said, well, wait a minute, time out. Whose shirt are you wearing? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're wearing a Tupac shirt or you're wearing a, a Che shirt, then you're making a political statement. And that means that you either believe in what they, they stood for or you don't know what you're wearing. So, so they do uh, understand it when you break it down to them that way. Uh, and then there, there's plenty of conversations going on around the city on how to engage our youth and get them involved. Uh, you know, when people have a problem with other uh, experiences of candidates or, or, or politicians, who have been, uh, you know, less than credible, uh, then they're, they're going to get discouraged and then mm -hmm. they're going to walk away from it. Uh, but we have to we have to create an opportunity right now where people understand that, listen, if you don't get involved, you will end up with a Donald Trump in the White House, <laughs> okay? If you don't get involved, you won't get money coming down from the federal government, from the state government, from the county government to help your city. If you don't get involved, you won't have people in the private sector who are interested in you, in engaging you, in bringing jobs so that you can live like everybody else, uh, keeping you in that race. Uh, there was an old documentary called Keep Your Eyes on the Prize. Do you remember mm -hmm, that? Mm -hmm. Well, that's what happens. People just, they, they lose it. They, they, they lose that vision, and they get caught up in another uh, tunnel that takes them uh, somewhere down another dark road. And, and completely miss out on opportunities that stand right in front of them. Uh, we have people 
dying every day who want to come to this country from other countries mm -hmm. because of all the rights and privileges that we have as Americans. Yet we have our Americans living right here who either don't clearly engage, understand, or care about those privileges that others who came before us have paved the way for. Now, that's an interesting point. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about that, but I'd love for you to sit down with me at another time and talk about that, about the privileges that we have here, regardless of our current situation or how bad a situation is. There are plenty of people around the world who would love to have that opportunity that we have, especially here in a post-industrial city like Trenton. Absolutely. Now, um, you, you come from a big family. You've got military experience. Um, you've been in politics. How has your perspective changed since not winning the election as the mayor of Trenton? How has your perspective changed? My perspective has changed in that now I can focus clearly on the solutions that the people need. Uh, because I had hands-on experience now engaging them, and not only engaging them, but seeing it, walking through it. Uh, it's called the uh, empirical knowledge I have now, right? <laughs> which, which I gained it through my experience of being a part of it and going through it and seeing it, touching it, feeling it, smelling it, and understanding it for real. So now I can sit down and I can focus and I can say, here's an issue that needs a resolution. Um, I think I have a better perspective on how to go about putting that plan together now because I've actually engaged, I heard from them, I got their input, I saw, we tested, and some of, them, some of these things are going on now. So, so if we want to say how has it changed, it would be that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, oftentimes when someone runs for a political office, um, and I think that to an extent we've even seen it play out in, in the presidential election, where it's more of a status, right. um, an image right. that a majority of the people fall in love with, not necessarily being able to tie that to the actual facts or the responsibility of the position, right. but you've just got this position because you could eloquently speak, um, you could present an idea or a concept that excites people. Um, how would you describe the context of that in where you are in, in, in your political life? Well, I, I, would, I would explain it this way. I would say that uh, I now know that uh, the people are hungry, homeless. Uh, you know, they live in drug-infested areas. Uh, they, they, have, they go without uh, heat. Uh, they go without uh, water sometimes. Uh, people are living in desperate times right now. Uh, and any person who wants to put themselves out there uh, because they feel that they should hold a position of authority, because that's what I call it. Uh, leadership is something completely different. Okay? Not everyone who holds a position of authority is a leader, Correct. and that's why we see this. Uh, they might be in it for the wrong reasons, which is, I want to wear a nice suit, and I want to have a driver, and I want to be in one of those black vehicles uh, driving through the streets and waving at the people. That's not good enough. We went through that back in the... Uh, in the old, uh, 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 you know, uh, pre, you know, pre-American uh, days, back in the old countries uh, that people came from, you went through all of that. Uh, this is not. We, we we decided a long time in America that we didn't want a king, right? What we wanted was a leader of the people, and and somewhere along that line, there's many people who have forgotten that, uh, and people really do depend on you when they cast that vote. They're asking. It's almost like they're saying a prayer and a wish, and they're pulling that lever and hoping that you're going to be the person that's going to help them resolve the issues and the battles that they're going through, whether it be with a child with a special needs or an uncle who needs a job or a mother who is being abused or a father who has no medical uh, benefits. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever it might be, they need true leadership someone with a vision, someone with the understanding and real resources of, uh, of bringing solutions to their problems, not somebody who's going to continue to promise them a, a meal like in the old uh, uh, Renaissance time, you know, where the king would come and he would have the big, uh, you know, 
uh, hind leg or something of a, of a, of a, of an animal, and he would be chomping at it, and then the peasants would be down there getting the scraps. Mm -hmm. You know, we've already gone through that. Uh, everybody should be on an equal level when it comes to the opportunity to do better in life, and uh, and those are the kinds of perspectives that I'm getting that I've gained through through that experience, which which was a wonderful experience, and and uh, I thought. Uh, was wonderful for the city that I went through. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm speaking with Paul Perez, and we've been talking a little bit about his history. We're going to get into the meat and potatoes about his nonprofit organization, Partnerships for Trenton, and uh, how he feels that organization as a nonprofit is going to fit into an area of Trenton that is in need. You're listening and watching the Trenton 365 show. I'm your host, Jacques Howard. We'll be back after a short break. And welcome back to the Trenton 365 show. I'm your host, Jacques Howard. In the studio with me is Paul Perez. Paul Perez ran for mayor of Trenton, and we've been talking a bit about that and his history. But the main portion of the show is going to be talking about his nonprofit organization, Partnerships for Trenton, and why he started the organization with his family and some key folks, and what he is trying, what niche he is fitting into. But we're also going to be talking about one of his business moves as well, um, his electrical retrofitting business as well, and uh, so stay tuned for that. Paul, just before the break, you were talking about um, your background, et cetera, and then talking about politics, and um, not, not politics from the standpoint of pointing a figure and, and saying anyone's wrong or anything like that, but just uh, educating not only myself, but others about your experience, what you learned from running for office here in the city of Trenton, New Jersey's capital city, and how you've now taken that and you're formulating that into not only your business ventures, but also uh, helping out in a need, a need in the community here in Trenton with your nonprofit organization, Partnerships for Trenton. Besides being civically engaged and seeing that there was a need, what was the driving force behind starting a nonprofit? And I'm going to put this out there. You have a large family, beautiful family. Um, you've got a military background. You've got a strong professional career. You don't necessarily have to do this. And you told me early on, I can, I can go pretty much anywhere I want and start my life and live my life. But I want to be here. Right. Why? Because this is where I'm needed. That, that's the bottom line. I'm needed here because my skill set uh, is is present here in the community, but uh, but there's a there's a space for me. Mm -hmm. I, I can work here with my my skill set, and and my skill set is to quickly analyze and and di uh, di uh, take a diagnostic approach to uh, problems and issues that I see, and some of the problems that I saw uh, that helped me come to the conclusion that we needed to create a vehicle. Uh, that would connect people to resources uh, was that experience of, of walking the streets of Trenton and seeing where people uh, were just surviving. They were just getting by. Uh, but not more than a mile away, there was a resource available to them that could make their life a little bit easier. And, and, and then what we would find out is that because of the fact that they don't have the means of transportation, uh, some don't even have a guardian with them, uh, uh, some have lived for so long in their small apartments that they become paranoid of leaving their buildings, uh, some are caring for the elderly, uh, some are caring for the young who are disabled, so many issues that we saw uh, that made my wife and I come to the conclusion that we should Put together a 501c3 organization nonprofit and, and base it on community outreach and then ensure that it was all about connecting people to resources. Mm -hmm. uh, so we did that. We did that with the uh, nonprofit Partnerships for Trenton, which can be found at www.partnershipsfortrenton.org. Uh, you can call our office also, which is 609 362 or 609 Six eight, uh, but go on the web and you'll see what we're doing. We've 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 helped and volunteered with the Josephson Building, the Jacobson Building, and some of the senior other senior outlets here in the city to create a seniors uh, health and wellness 
uh, committee mm -hmm. uh, that looks after issues regarding the seniors when it comes to uh, their care, uh, their security, uh, and their health. Uh, that's being led currently by a gentleman named uh, Clarence Willits mm -hmm. and Mr. Jim Johnson out in uh, West, West, uh, West Trenton. And then also we've uh, gone to the Board of Education and got uh, resolutions passed where we've partnered with schools. Uh, Woodrow Wilson Elementary School, uh, the Hedgebeth William Middle School, uh, the Dunn, uh, Grace Dunn Middle School, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, the Monument School, uh, which is, uh, I think they call it the Ninth Grade Academy now. Okay. Uh, we've done most, most of our work in the Hedgebeth William uh, Dunn School and the Woodrow Wilson School. Uh, and what we, what we found was that there were uh, situations, surroundings, environments that could be improved, that could help uh, children who go and attend school feel like they're being welcomed mm. and that they're being taught in an environment that's that's uh, on the same playing field of their wanting to learn. And I'll give you just a quick example, simple things like we've helped the Woodrow Wilson School fix gates that were broken. Uh, we are currently raising funds for them right now uh, to purchase 18 <coughs> uh, air conditioners for their old school uh, classrooms mm -hmm. uh, because it gets so hot that it's difficult for the child to pay attention during the class uh, classroom time and the teachers to stay motivated because it's so uh, uncomfortable. The climate is terrible in there. So we teamed up with, uh, with Principal Janet Nicodemus, uh, with, with other members of her staff, with members of our staff, Joan Williams, Bishop uh, Bishop Gaines, you know, Tyrone Gaskin, many of our, our same people uh, working together. And we've come up with this uh, opportunity now to raise funds and money so that we can then turn it back to the school and, and purchase them some air conditioners, mm -hmm. which is going to make the rooms uh, simpler and, and, and help them get their, their, uh, their, their, their classroom work in. Uh, we've done just, just about everything that you can think of from feeding the poor just like everybody else does. Uh, to, to understanding their needs. We, we talked about, you know, do you give them a turkey or do you cook them a hot meal? Now, I, I, wanna, I want to drill down on that because mm -hmm. I think that's an amazing way to, uh, way to, to provide a service. And um, folks, I, Paul and I, before we came on the air, we were talking and um, I was sharing about how the community gardens that I've helped build through Isles and with uh, Urban Mission Cabinet Inc. and the Bethany House and Crisis Ministry and Westminster Presbyterian Church, etc., that we were making these wonderful community gardens and we had all this lovely, fresh, organically grown produce, but when we wanted to give it away, we'd find people took tomatoes and cucumbers and green peppers and pretty much that's it. And then we started asking questions, you know, why? Why aren't you taking more of this? And a lot of times people don't have the resources to prepare these meals. That's right. They may be cooking on a hot plate or, or they may not have proper refrigeration. And, and people didn't want to take it and waste the, the produce, but they had no way to use it. So then we started to think, okay, now we've got to provide other opportunities for folks, recipes, how you can make cold salads, how you can do these different things with what you have to stretch your budget, et cetera. And then you jumped right into talking <laughs> about the experience with uh, turkeys. That's right. So can you uh, share that Absolutely. experience? Sometimes uh, you have to realize that when you get in this business, what you think is a solution for somebody may be a problem. Yes, sir. Okay. And that's the kind of experience that you gain when you get in there. So giving them a turkey might make you feel good and think, hey, you know, I just gave them a meal. And then, But they're thinking it's a problem now. I don't have a place to store that. I, I don't have utensils to cut it. I can't even cook it. So, so what am I going to do with it? And we ran into those uh, uh, real problems and lessons learned on the spot. Uh, and, and, and we figured out, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to just be very basic in our approach and ask, you know, can you uh, afford to have the turkey and cook it yourself? Is that something that you would want to do? Or do you prefer to have the hot meal? Uh, and, and we found out that engaging them that way, it made it much more uh, effective. And then what we, 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 went, we went another step further and we said, okay, while we're doing this and we're engaging them, we're going to create learning opportunities. We're going to get uh, opportunities to talk to them about resources available to them. We're going to bring in guest people. We're going to, we're going to demonstrate to them uh, how they can connect to another uh, resource out there that they don't know 
that might be available to them, yet it could in, improve uh, their quality of life. So it's been very, very exciting for us, uh, w w especially with the seniors. But I wanted to go back because you just said something you reminded me when you mentioned uh, your church. Uh, we just got back from Washington, D.C., where the partnerships with Trenton partnered up with uh, uh, Hedgepeth Quilliam School, and we co-sponsored uh, by purchasing their meals uh, uh, the trip to Washington, D.C.'s uh, African-American National Museum, mm -hmm. uh, and, and Karen was with us, mm -hmm. so, so that's what I wanted, and, and some of her members, and, and, and it was a wonderful trip. Uh, and then also, you know, last year we, we co-sponsored, we raised, I think, $4,000 to support the one-day uh, youth summit for the Trent Public Schools out at Mercer County Community College. And, and we're doing this, and these are all volunteers. We're not, we're not getting the grants that other uh, organizations are getting. Uh, we're getting, uh, we're doing this through, you know, old-style, you know, bake sales and, and, and lemonade stands <laughs> and, and going into your pocketbook and pulling out some money. Uh, but we're feeling so good because we're having a tremendous effect on the community because it's almost like the return of investment is greater on our side uh, than the larger uh, organizations because it, what's happening is that we are pushing it all back into the community. So uh, last year, uh, the uh, partnerships for Trenton, and I think our 990 is getting ready to be uh, finalized now, uh, probably around $60,000 we made. And that's with in-kind donations and actual uh, money, funds donations. And, and every single penny went back to the community to include a $1,000 scholarship that we provide to a Trenton High or, or a Trenton community a graduate. Uh, so, so there's so much that we do and so much that we learn. It's addictive when you're doing something good for the people. Uh, and that's what kept me going when it comes to that kind of service. Mm. Paul Perez is in the studio and we're talking about all different things, not only his run as for mayor of Trenton, but also his background growing up here in the city, his military experience, and about his new initiative, Partnerships for Trenton. The website is partnershipsfortrenton.org, and there you can actually see some of the different things that he has going on there, the different projects. You can sign up for the newsletter, as well as make a, make a donation, which is also something for you to consider if you cannot physically get involved in a game we do take, as a whole, time, talent, and treasures. So that's something for you to think about. You're listening and watching the Trenton 365 show, and we'll be back after a short break. I got to get in. Uh... And welcome back to the Trenton 365 show. I'm your host, Jacques Howard. You can send me an email, trenton365show at gmail.com. You can visit the Facebook page, trenton365show, or... Go to the website, Trenton365.com. You're listening and watching over WIMG 1300, streaming over the website, WIMG1300.com, and on television is WPHY, covering Channel 25 in Mercer County. The, the television broadcast of this will take place on Friday evening at 11 p.m. What better way to ring in the weekend with uh, the Trenton 365 show, and that's over the America One Network in uh, Mercer County, New Jersey. In the studio with me is Paul Perez, and Paul's been talking about his background, but also a bit about his political beliefs, and we're talking about his nonprofit organization, Partnerships for Trenton, which he and his wife started with some other key leaders as a very specific niche market, because they, they felt as though that there were a lot of different services that were offered, but they weren't getting to the people who actually needed them. And a lot of that experience, Paul, you so eloquently put that you got that experience from being on the grind, from running for mayor, from meeting people in the community, going to the schools, meeting other people, and then realizing, hey, there's, there's a bit of a void here, but like you said in that one example, a mile away could have been the services that this individual exactly. or family could have used. That's exactly right. And, uh, and we continue to do that on a daily basis. Uh, I know we're running out of time, so I want to focus on the children right now because our children are our are, are treasure in this city, and they are uh, our future. You know, I think uh, it was George Benson that wrote a song uh, uh, about the children in the future. Mm -hmm. You remember that? Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, we have partnered up with the Princeton Blairstown Center, uh, which is a wonderful group out of uh, out of uh, uh, Princeton. And mostly are Princeton alumni, 
and they have a summer camp that they've come together, which is based on STEM. So for three hours, the children learn science, technology, engineering, and math. And then for the rest of the day, they learn uh, leadership, uh, you know, confidence uh, building, team building exercises. Uh, they get to stay there overnight uh, for seven days. Uh, and we were able, as a nonprofit, to sponsor 65 of our inner city children uh, to go. Now, those 65 children also required uh, chaperones. So we had to get family members and, and PTO members who were vetted to go out and, 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 and stay with the children. And we had an incredible response from them, uh, mostly from the parents who had never left the city before and were actually in the woods and boating and, and, and fast roping and doing all kinds of things. And then the children who, who really uh, were in a different environment, uh, learning some of the same things they learned in the classroom, but because of the change of environment, they found it more exciting and interesting, uh, which, was, which was really interesting for us, too. Uh, our children can compete with anybody's children. We are responsible for creating that learning environment, you know, or, or creating the environment that fosters their education. Mm -hmm. That's what we should be doing. Uh, so I wanted to get that out and thank uh, uh, Pam Gregory from the Princeton Blairstown Center for that opportunity. We're getting ready to sign our MOU for this year, which is, uh, I think the, the rate has gone up now, 75 uh, inner city children from Trenton here will be able to, to participate. And we ask that if you're in, uh, interested, uh, go to your parent-teacher organization in your school. We're looking at children uh, that are from uh, sixth grade on to high school. Uh, are the ages, uh, and uh, and talk to them. They say, hey, you know, I heard this guy, Paul Perez, on the radio. He says that there's a summer camp, a STEM summer camp, and I want to go. Uh, or go to our website at www.partnershipsfortrenton.org and send us a note and say, hey, I heard this. Uh, can, can I be involved? Uh, because it's very important that we take advantage of these opportunities. This is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Let me just tell you one more thing about a resource that we found out. I, I mentioned that we have a scholarship which is $1,000. And you know, as we put together our scholarship and we were, we were sending out our information, we went for two and a half months without one application. There are so many scholarships out there right now that go unattained or, or uh, unengaged by our children mm -hmm. uh, because for some reason they feel that they're not good enough or they're not going to get it. Or, or, or somebody hasn't sat down with them and, and helped them and tutored them through that essay uh, so that they can compete. Uh, so that's another resource that we mm -hmm. found out. And, and we, we helped the kids. We said, no, we want you to apply for every single scholarship out there. Okay? If it's free, apply. Mm -hmm. Because you never know. You might, you might end up getting it. And then what you'll find is that there isn't a thousand people trying to go after that scholarship. It, you might be the mm -hmm. one. Uh, and we have so many of our talented youth who go through school and needing that money, and it's sitting right there, mm -hmm. and, and, and it goes unused. So that was another uh, experience that we had. And, and I think that you had touched on this before when we were, before we came into the studio about how it's almost like this paralysis that, that people get into, um, whether it's because of what their environment tells them or what the media tells them. So they just feel, I've got no chance, so I'm not even going to attempt it. How is Partnerships for Trenton kind of spearheading the idea of people that, no, you can do this, give it a try, Put, uh, and get, get yourself engaged in the process? You know, millennials are interesting. Uh, they're not the same. Not, not every generation is made the same. We don't hear the same. We don't see the same. We don't smell the same. And we don't look the same, okay? So when we communicate to them, uh, it's not from our era, you know. I come from the era where you could speak tough to them, yeah. okay? And, and, and you kind of liked that discipline. Or, or, or my parents and my older brothers probably uh, came from the old, you know, let me go get a switch from the backyard uh, type. That's not our millennials right now. Our millennials are very thoughtful. Uh, our millennials are engaged in a lot of uh, technology that requires uh, them to think and use their minds. But in the, in the thing and the key to their success when it comes to understanding that getting civically involved, that engine doesn't start for them. 
because the experience has always been that it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they hear uh, the propaganda that getting and being civically involved is a bad thing or it doesn't work or it doesn't count because it, it doesn't matter, it doesn't include me. You know, and what you find out is that this is the reason why you don't end up with resources. You know, they want to be civically involved. We talked about that. You saw the millennials who got angry after the election and they went out in the streets and, and they made their statements. But if we would have touched on that and gotten them involved before, we probably would have had a different president by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the same thing everywhere else you go. Uh, you know, we need to be able to communicate with them in such a way that they understand that we care and, and that we understand them and that we take them seriously. Uh, because what I've seen out there in, in, in my, my, uh, my engagement in the community uh, is that, uh, you know, we have all kinds of styles of leadership uh, out there and approaches. And not all of them work. Not all of them work. It may sound nice, and some of the uh, activists may feel like they are getting their message across, but the, uh, but the measurement doesn't say that. Okay, when you look at the facts and you look at the data, it doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are continuing to get better, but we're not where we should be. And, and that's because we're leaving a lot of our children behind. We're leaving a lot of our young men behind, uh, especially the young men. Uh, we don't have a private sector. We don't have apprentice programs. We don't have any of these skill sets and trades that, that gives them an opportunity to, to choose who they want to be. You know, I'll tell you one story because I just participated in an institutional racism panel uh, that was put on by the uh, Teachers uh, uh, Education Association of Trenton mm-hmm. uh, here at the Board of Education on institutional uh, racism. And I told this story. And I said, I remember when I was in Trenton High School. And I first got there, and I sat down with the counselor. And the counselor said, okay, yep, you're going to have wood shop, auto body, uh, metal, and you're going to take this, and you're going to have business math. And I said, whoa, time out. W- what is that? He says, oh, it's a, it's a vocational curriculum. And I said, I don't even understand the word, first. Second of all, I'm not good with my hands. Okay, I'm going to college. And he says, no, you're not going to college. You need to do this. You need to go to this vocational track. And I said, no, just like this other guy, I'm going to college. And I fought them uh, all the way until they changed my curriculum back to what was called back then the academic curriculum. So I fought for my choice. Not everybody gets an opportunity to fight for their choice. Mm -hmm. And not everybody is prepared to go to college either. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I have 15 brothers and sisters. Uh, Most of them went to college, but not all of them. But they Mm -hmm. did learn a trade, and that's what makes them... Uh, survive and, and take care of their families. That opportunity is being taken away from our children mm-hmm. every day on a daily basis for many reasons. Uh, so getting them civically involved and making them understand that there is a cascading effect to their not being present when it comes to decision making is the challenge. I love how you put that in. and in some capacity I'm going to rework that and steal that because <laughs> because I, I you know, whenever I'm out and I'm talking about it, and, and you know, we had this conversation earlier, uh, people say, oh, well, I'm not political. Well, right. if you're not involved in a political process, letting your voice be heard, someone is making the decision for you. Exactly right. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather make my own decisions, good, bad, or whatever they are. I want to make those decisions. I want the choices. Uh, you know, I have this saying, you let me know what the rules of the game are, I'll decide if I play. Right, that's right. And and I think that that's something that our, a lot of our young children, sometimes two and three generations here in Trenton, that's where they are in their mindset. They, they, they can't think of anything besides what am I doing right now, right this moment, and they're not thinking about the future. We're about up on a break. Um, but I do want to talk about the Latino-Hispanic culture in this region. And... Generally, when you mention Latino, Hispanic, most people think, okay, Puerto Rican, Dominican, Guatemalan, Mexican, um, and maybe a handful of other countries. But this region is ripe with Spanish-speaking citizens, immigrants from all over the Latino, Hispanic world. Can you just talk a little bit about that? And then after the break, we're going to get back into it. 
sure, it's a very complicated picture that you just painted, right? <laughs> yes, and then sir. you say, and I only got you know thirty seconds <laughs> to talk. Then we're about gonna it. get back into but, it. But I can just tell you that the two dominant, or one of the one of the three dominant uh, languages in the world was uh, French, English, and Spanish because of the uh, the conquerors, right? So the Spanish language has gone far and wide, as we know. And uh, and you do. You, that's why it's called Latino and Hispanic. First, you got to understand what that means. Okay, Hispanic means the origin from from the uh, Spain and from Europe. A Latino usually means uh, from the Latin America, which is South America, Central America, and then you forgot a third one, which is Caribbean, which is the Car Car Caribbean. Uh, so we have all kinds of Latinos, Hispanics, uh, all involved in. Uh, trying to be placed in one basket. And if I could just say this before we do break, uh, that's why I don't support uh, this new statement when people say brown people. Mm. Okay? Because just like the labeling of white and black, it's just another attempt to further isolate people. Okay? You can't take people who are square pegs and put them all in a round uh, circle. You can't do that. Okay? You have to respect the fact that people come from different backgrounds, different cultures, and even if you can speak the language or communicate, you don't actually speak the language, okay? It's nothing different than an Australian speaking to an Englishman who speaks to a Scottish guy who speaks to a New Yorker and then bring in Q, the Texan, you know what I mean? So it's sort of like that when it comes to talking about people who come from some sort of Spanish origin. What makes them different then is their, their uh, other uh, uh, diversity within their DNA, which is uh, their makeup. Are they part Indian? Uh, do they have African in them? Uh, are they just European? Uh, and that European is not necessarily just uh, Spanish. It could be Dutch. Have you seen the World Baseball Classic? Yes, sir. Okay, so uh, there's a lot of people speaking Spanish who you normally would not believe speak Spanish. I mean, the Kingdom of Belgium was playing last night against Puerto Rico, and they were speaking Spanish. <laughs> exactly. Okay? So it's not that simple. It's not that simple. The world is complicated on purpose, you know, and when we respect that, that's when we're going to get ahead a lot better. Fantastic. Paul Perez will be back after a short break. You're listening and watching the Trenton 365 show. And welcome back to the Trenton 365 show. That was a quick break in the studio with me is Paul Perez. And we just started touching on something that is a hot button topic and should be a hot button topic going forward. And that's talking about the culture of Spanish speaking, Latino Hispanics. And Paul was uh, expressed it and explained it to me in a way that I, in my mentality, I couldn't grasp. And Paul, I'd like for you to drill down on that a little bit more. Absolutely. Uh it's very, very, very uh, complicated when you try to take so many different countries that have so many different tribes when it comes to their, their Indian uh, heritage or, or native uh, uh, heritage. I won't call them Indian because that was a different uh, or given name. So their nativeness uh, mixed in with whoever at that time were the explorers, as they called them, uh, whether it be Dutch. French, English, Spanish, or anything else. And then you mix in the African that was brought over, uh, then that creates a complicated uh, picture for everybody. And then once those uh, cultures develop and they create uh, their own image, uh, my heritage is Puerto Rican. Uh, so we are very proud and we celebrate every day our African heritage. You can go to Loisa in Puerto Rico and you'll see them playing uh, traditional drums and speaking in traditional tongues and dressing in traditional garb and I'm using the word traditional but to them it's everyday why are you calling me traditional you know what I mean so but that's that's what happens when you Americanize uh, this experience so now you bring them and they're coming to America for the American dream uh, they want the White House and picket fence which was what we were selling back in those days uh, or an opportunity to make some money and then when they come in and they Americanize, it further complicates and dilutes the picture. Uh, because America has a history of separation. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's embedded in our, in our society. So that creates competition, even within your own race. Uh, you become competitive and you want to separate and you want, and it's all because people want to feel accepted, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, so you have the extremes. You have those who want to feel accepted and then you have those who continue to resist 
the new land. Uh, and then you have the ones in the middle who just want to assimilate, become good citizens, but not forget who they are. Mm -hmm. And that's the majority of the people. It's always like that, right? Uh, so it does become very complicated and very difficult to have a conversation with somebody who just because they speak Spanish, uh, you think you understand them. Now, I have an advantage. See, when I speak to a Costa Rican, a Venezolano, a someone from Colombia, Mexico, uh, let's say Argentina, I've been to their countries. So I have a real experience. You know, I lived in Venezuela for a year. I, I lived in, in Ecuador for uh, three months. I lived in Guatemala during my time as a military serviceman. I was in Honduras as a military serviceman. I served in Panama mm -hmm. as a military serviceman. So I've been to these different uh, styles of, of, uh, of cultures and been, in, been in, in involved in them. Uh, so I can talk to them in a way that makes them understand that I can relate to who they are, but never that I am the same as you. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's where the conflict may come. Uh, I think when everybody stands up and is accepted for who they are, uh, that will make it a lot better for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, you just rattled off some countries that are Spanish-speaking countries that I didn't even think about that have representation right here Absolutely. in Trenton. So when you think about the, the process of education, civic engagement, um, politics, those all come in and they all get factored in. Um, how do you foresee this moving? Well, here's... Here's something that everybody's going to have to hear. Uh, Trenton is a multicultural city. Yes. Trenton is an international city. Yes. Uh, Trenton is a city that requires uh, a true understanding of the whole person concept when they walk into your door. Okay? So along with that comes a lot of challenges. You know, you have teachers who are now given the instruction that you must teach 29 or 32 different cultures uh, from one book you know what I mean and everybody has to learn at the same pace you know but but everybody has differing and and very extreme uh, uh, complications to their life mm -hmm. you know um, it, so it, it makes it interesting uh, it's not unique because it's happening across America but we need to learn better we need to share better we need to benchmark better we need to hear better you know, uh, we need to engage better. We have so many great people in this community who are doing super work, uh, but aren't being listened to. You know, uh, I, I go into some of the schools, like uh, like uh, Miss Janet Nicodemus, who's the principal at Woodrow Wilson School, and you can feel the love of that school. You can see the standard, clean, smells wonderful. The children are happy. There's no noise in the hallway. They're all concentrating on where they need to go, and they're saying hello, and, and it's wonderful. But then you go into another school, and I won't say any names, and it is just a mess. Mm -hmm. it, there's chaos. The, the, even you can see it from outside, from the traffic pattern of the, of the parents in the vehicle to the shouting moms. Uh, to, to, to the uh, rush and run through the door of the students. So we have to somehow standardize uh, the, the conditions that create, again, the opportunity for our children to learn and to foster uh, or to get forward in their educational process because that's how we're going to get better. If we don't do this now, uh, during my campaign, uh, there was a young man named Tyrone Gaskin who wrote this piece for me, and, and, and I loved it because he says, 25 years of post-civil rights opportunity down the drain. Down the drain. We had 25 years where we had total control of the whole system. We could call every signal because we were the quarterbacks. You know, we could say, this is what we want, this is how we want our two children taught, you know, this is how we want the bus drivers to go, this is how we want our teachers to teach everything and, and it should have been a smooth sailing operation and instead we have a train wreck mm -hmm. you know we have an absolute train wreck we, we haven't had a stable situation at the board of education in a long time we have people resigning on a daily basis just about uh, two or three months ago uh, you know we have uh, four different uh, uh, superintendents in, in two years you know it's difficult for our teachers to teach uh, and, our, and our parents to, to get engaged in a system that's so chaotic uh, when it comes to our number one asset, our, our goal, which is our children. Mm. Now, I, I don't expect you to, to give 
um, a plan, you know, in, in the short amount of time that we have. For the average person who's listening, I think it would be easy for them to be pessimistic about the future, to, <clears throat> to think that it's a bleak picture. I know you as a person and me as well. That's two people in this room right here who aren't going to give up and, and walk away and turn our backs on, on this process. What do you say to the people who may think, oh, why do we have to do this? It isn't going to work. We've tried this. What do you say to those folks? Well, here's what I would say. They may be the loudest voice, but they're not, they're not the majority. Okay? The majority of the people in this city are just like me and you. Mm -hmm. They see the brighter future. It's the minority that's in place who are with that attitude, that nothing can change, and they're the only ones that can do it. And that's why they, they put a chokehold on, on, on progress and, 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 and real uh, uh, advancement when it comes to our community. We need to be able to force them out of the way and allow these new thinkers to come in and help us get to where we need to go. Because the majority of the people in Trenton that I've engaged all love Trenton and all get involved and do get in the streets and do clean and do donate and do help in the schools, uh, you know, and the teachers do teach and, and, and there's a lot of great things going on. Uh, even the, the, the law enforcement guys, you know, they do their work. Uh, there's always extenuating circumstances mm -hmm. uh, to why they aren't as successful as they should be. And, and sometimes when that happens, the way that I've been taught, you got to look at the leadership. And, and figure out what is it, uh, what's going on with this business model? Why doesn't this government model work? Uh, why aren't we doing anything when we have, you know, critical decisions that should be uh, made uh, in regards to how we govern, lead, and keep our people safe and teach our children, and it's not happening. Uh, so it's not the majority by far. Uh, the majority of people love this city. Uh, we, we didn't even touch on the clergy, but I'll say some names anyway. Pastor Terry Wells, uh, Bishop uh, uh, Gaines, Sidney Gaines, uh, Pastor Mark Broach, uh, uh, Reverend uh, Stanley Justice. Mm -hmm. uh, these are all great individuals that I see every day doing great things in their community and wanting to take the church beyond the four walls of the church, and they're out there. And Karen Hernandez, mm -hmm. who, who we mentioned earlier. You see her out there. And Mundo Lopez, who's, mm -hmm. who's another pastor out there. Reverend uh, Jose Rodriguez, mm -hmm. uh, Reverend Felix Cruz. There's a lot of them that we work with who are out there and, and are really pushing uh, the agenda of, of uh, keeping our city moving, keeping it together, and, and, uh, and, and showing our people that there is true hope here in the city. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. We've got about a minute left. Um, I, I'd like for you to do almost a PSA, mm -hmm. a PSA, quick PSA for partnerships for Trenton.org. Absolutely. Uh, when you feel a need uh, or you, when you feel a want and you don't know where to get it, uh, go to www.partnershipsfortrenton.org. Uh, send us a note. Tell us what it is that you're yearning for or needing, and we will find a solution for you uh, because that's what we do. We find solutions. Fantastic. Paul Perez, thanks again, man, for coming in. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Folks, you've been listening and watching the Trenton 365 Show. I'm your host, Jacques Howard. This and all the archives of my wonderful interviews and spending time with wonderful people are available on the website, Trenton365.com, or doing an internet search for Trenton 365. We'll be back next week. Have a wonderful week, folks. And remember, we together can build a better community for everyone. Have a good night.